All right, so last week we began our Proverbs series with the idea that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Remember that? And we learned that there are two kinds of people. There are the wise, and then there's the foolish. Fearing God, we learn, is not about being afraid about what God will say or what God will do. Being afraid to do what you really want to do on a Friday night because God's out there and he's watching. That's not what the fear of the Lord is. The fear of the Lord is about seeing God for who he truly is. Fearing God and the beginning of wisdom is acknowledging, it is seeing, it is experiencing God's presence and his word in your daily relationships, your daily situations, the daily grind, and your daily actions. It's about asking God, what do you want for me here? The clearest picture of all of this, the clearest picture of God is Jesus himself. Paul says that he is the image of the invisible God. We cannot see God. We cannot touch the Father. But we can see Jesus. This is why the, Jesus often told his disciples, which we looked at recently on a Wednesday night, he would often tell them, do not fear, it is I. Whether it's the wind and the waves on the Sea of Galilee. In Matthew 7, we looked at last week, Jesus taught us the fundamental difference between someone who is wise and someone who is foolish, and that is their foundation. Remember that? A person's foundation, their words, their ideas, their teaching, they they build life on, it is revealed, Jesus taught us, when adversity strikes, just as wind and waves and floods reveal the quality of a person's foundation. The wise build their lives by hearing and then doing what Jesus says. And then Jesus said that the fool builds life by hearing what he says, but then not acting on it. And we ended our service like, God, we don't want to be fools, right? In essence, a wise life comes by putting yourself under the best of all teachers. And Proverbs' claim is that God is that teacher. Last week, we spoke a lot about position and posture. Tisa and Aubrey were like, oh my goodness, if you talked any more about position and posture, we were going to die. But we acknowledge this, is that you and I right now are in a physical position to hear God. You are here on a Sunday morning versus, like we like to say here at Heritage, instead of being here, you could be kayaking, right? You could be anywhere. You could be kayaking down the river or having brunch, but you are here. You're literally in the position to hear God's word for your life. But even though you can be in the physical position to hear godly teaching, your heart cannot be sometimes in the right heart posture to truly hear it. That's why sometimes we can be sitting with our wives and they're like, are you really listening to me? And we're literally listening, right? But we're not listening with the affections of our hearts. Husbands were like, yep, that's us last week. Today we're going to look at Solomon's wisdom focusing in on the posture of the heart. We are going to define what the heart really is. We're going to contrast that with what American culture tells you that the heart really is. And we are going to see that the most satisfying life imaginable, it doesn't come by building your life on your own ideas, your own dreams, your own goals, your own five-year plan, but it's building on the foundation that can be sustained through all adversity. We want to build our lives in such a way that no matter whether the winds howl against it, or the rains pour on it, or the floods rise against it, that the foundation of our lives will stand. Amen? We want to be able to be a people that no matter what adversity comes our way, 
whether it's cancer or COVID or death or car accidents or fill in the blank, that the foundation of our lives will be sustained because it's not built on ourselves. It's built on the Lord Jesus. Since God and his word stays the same, only God's word is strong enough and sure enough to be that foundation, which is why I think our worship leader selected for our liturgy this morning, standing on the promises of God, right? Good job, William. <laughs> You're like, yay, awkward. <laughs> Let's get to our proposition. Today you are going to see that a truly satisfying life is built on experiencing God's presence and acting on his promises. We don't just stand on them, we act on them. So for this Sunday and the next two, we're going through Proverbs 3, and we're going to be asking week after week, what wisdom did God give to Solomon now that Solomon's passing to us that can be applied to live a satisfying life? Now, in our worship liturgy, we didn't do it this morning, but we sing a song that says, I search the world. You give me the next line. But it couldn't fill me, right? We, did we sing it on Easter? Yes. We just recently, come on, Heritage. I searched the world, and it didn't fill me. If you know anything about Solomon's life, you know that is his story. He searched the world. He tested and tried many things, and it didn't work out. That's also my favorite figure in church history story as well, which would be who? Who's my favorite theologian in church history? I'm, te I'm testing y'all now. It's started my ninth year, I guess, so see how much you know me. Oh, I love C.S. Lewis. You're right. What, who else do I love? Uh, yeah, it's, they got to be dead, right? They can't be alive. I won't like them unless he's dead. It's also like my favorite city in Florida. There we go, St. Augustine. That's also Augustine's life story. He tried everything, the philosophies of the empire, rhetoric, logic, alcohol, romantic relationships, everything, and it didn't fill him until he came to God's word. And I think to be a Christian, this must be your story as well. You've tried to build life the way that you wanted it. You tried to build life the way that American culture told you to build life, but it didn't fill you. It didn't satisfy you. In fact, the more you try to build on this foundation, the more the cracks were revealed, the more the winds howled and raged against the foundation. Adversity struck and your life fell apart. Today, Solomon is telling you what will really fill you, what really is a foundation that can last anything and everything. And it has everything to do with what truly captures your heart and what you hold is your final authority. Solomon is going to tell you that the truly wise, truly hold godly teaching close to the heart. God's word must be the most defining element of your foundation. Therefore, godly teaching must impact the heart. Solomon will tell you this morning that the truly wise truly enjoy life because they truly lean on someone that is greater than themselves. Someone who can truly take on the weight of all that you are. And we talk about this so much here at Heritage, is that putting your spouse or putting a friendship or putting a parental relationship in the place of God, it's putting them in a position for failure because they can never be strong enough, wise enough, resourceful enough to provide for what you really need deep down in your soul. Remember, you have a hope-shaped hole in your heart. And that shape is the cross that only Jesus can fill. 
So let's get started with our first point. Let's jump into the Proverbs. We're going to say in our first point that you are to act on godly teaching. Now, here's one of the reasons, because it is actually the expression of your heart for God. The way that you act on what you hear expresses what you truly feel about the Lord Jesus. In our first point, we're going to see how Solomon describes the relationship between godly teaching and your heart. And we're going to see Solomon call on you to hold godly teaching close to your heart. Solomon will teach you that the greatest expression of how close God's word is to your heart is your actions. This is how we build on the foundation. Let's get to verse 1. Solomon says, endearingly, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. In its original context and an original 11th century Jewish culture, Proverbs was a collection of wisdom from Solomon and other wise teachers of their culture. They were meant to pass on wisdom to Jewish children, Jewish boys and girls, and they would sit underneath these teachings and memorize them. In one sense, we can feel Solomon's desire later on in life as a father to pass on the wisdom that God first poured into him. But in another sense, we see and we can feel Solomon and the rest of the writers of Proverbs and their desire just to pass on godly teaching to anyone who will hear it, which is why you'll hear in Proverbs where uh, wisdom is personified as a lady calling in the street, just anybody who will listen to her. So what is the first thing that Solomon tells to us? He says, do not forget my teaching. So we readily admit here at Heritage that what we sing in a hymn called Come Thou Founts. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. This meshes well with Solomon's teaching of do not forget. Do not forget what you have been taught. We acknowledge it is easy for a son to forget what his father teaches, right? It's quite natural for a son to forget what dad has taught. You see, the first human authority that God gives to us is our parents. And is the very first authority that we learn how to usurp and break and reject, right? A son always thinks that he knows better than his father. This mirrors and it deepens our natural desire to reject God as our creator and as our authority. It's easy to put ourselves in the position of God, to hear God's teaching, and then just do nothing about it. It's so easy to do nothing, right? It's easy to read your Bible, to come to church, listen to the sermon, or read a devotional, and then you just continue on with life as usual. But this approach to life is the life of the fool, Solomon says to us. Solomon's solution for you forgetting godly teaching is about your posture, which is why he goes straight for the heart. You must keep godly teaching close to your heart. Now, this Hebrew word for keep literally means to guard. This is about you being on the defensive. You have to guard godly teaching in your heart because if not, you are going to forget it. This implies if you need to guard something, if you need to be on defense for something, that implies that there is someone or something on the outside that's trying to come in and steal what you got, right? As Christians who have gone through the Gospel of John together, you and I know 
that there is an enemy, a real enemy out there. And he comes to steal and to kill and to destroy, right? There's plenty of pressure in your life. And there's plenty of conflict in your life that challenges you and screams to you to forget godly teaching. There's plenty of rain, plenty of wind, plenty of flood that threatens your life on a daily basis. So we ask, okay, Solomon, how do we guard? How do we guard godly teaching? How do we keep it close to our hearts? And with that, let's jump to verse 3 for a moment. Because Solomon tells us, he says, do not let kindness and truth leave you. Instead, you bind them around your neck, and you write them on your heart's tablet. In order to guard our hearts, you and I cannot let kindness and truth to desert us, to leave us. This acknowledges that your heart today needs kindness. We're always good with that, right? Let's give me some more kindness. But it also equally and validly needs truth. Our hearts with living by truth alone will lead to foolishness. And a heart committed to kindness alone will also lead to foolishness. A wise heart needs both together. That's the beginning of Solomon's solution. So Solomon's advice is for you to take truth, take kindness, and to bind it around your neck. For the ancient Jews, they took Solomon's word literally. And it's still alive. If you, know, if you know of any Jewish subculture here in America, you still see that sometimes they write God's word and they put it in a box and then they wear it or they put it in front of their door or they have it on tassels on their outer coverings. They did that back then and they still do it today. They take it literally. But I think Solomon means more than this. Don't you agree with me? It's not just about literally putting on God's word or wearing the Christian t-shirt, Right? We are to bind godly teaching to us, Solomon says, by writing them on the tablets of our hearts. Now, this sentence is stunning, and it is worth diving into for a moment. But first, we need to understand how Solomon and the ancients saw the human heart. Now, for us, we are modern, sophisticated Americans in the West, and we define the heart as the seat of emotions, Right? The symbolic heart, that's just where you feel. That's where all your feelings reside. But for the ancients, that's far too simplistic. For the ancients, the heart was the core of everything. It's the heart of your motivations. It's the heart of your emotions, yes. It's the heart of where you hold your mind and your teaching. Everything is held in the heart. For the Greeks, it was the belly. But for the Hebrew, it was the heart. This fits into... Solomon's wisdom, that godly teaching must be our foundation, our core. It must be the heart of what we do. Then Solomon says that our hearts, our cores, our foundation, it has a tablet that you can write on. One thing or another is going to be written on your core. It's going to be written on your foundation. It's going to be written on the tablets of your heart. Now, for any Jew, any devout Jew during this time reading this, they would associate Solomon's language right now with Torah, God's law given through Moses for the people of Israel. And specifically, they would be thinking of Exodus 20, or what we call the Ten Commandments. These tablets contain all that the people of Israel needed to love and live for Yahweh among a Gentile culture. 
God wrote on these tablets of stone, gave them to Moses to point to a day when God would no longer write on tablets of stone, but he would write his Torah, his word, on your hearts. You and I call this the new covenants. We've read the prophets. We've read Jeremiah and Ezekiel. We know that one day, by God's spirit, he'd write his word on our hearts. But I want you to see for a moment how Moses pointed to this all the way back in Deuteronomy. There's just two verses I want to share with you really quick. The first is Deuteronomy 10.16, where he tells Israel to circumcise their hearts. You see that? Then in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, he says, Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants. Why? Or for what reason? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, so that you may live. Here we find God's wisdom through Moses. So we ask things like, how do you and I resist pride? How do you and I resist the idea that we know better than God, right? How do we grow out of foolishness? How do we love the Lord with all of the heart? Solomon and Moses both say, your heart needs to be cut. Your heart needs to be written upon. Through Moses, God promised a day when God wouldn't merely write his word on stone or on paper or papyrus, but he would write them inside your heart. And that begins to answer, how close should you and I keep God's word to our hearts? This is the most intimate of connection. If God's word is cut into our hearts, you and I will truly live. And with that, I want you to take a look at verses 2 and 4 back in Proverbs 3. Solomon says, length of days, years of life, and peace they will add to you. So you'll find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. This is where I want to remind you what we said last week when we opened the Proverbs. Proverbs is filled with tons of principles and tons of promises, but it doesn't just do that. Proverbs is fully aware, which we will get into. Proverbs acknowledges all the beauty of this life and all the brokenness. And we're going to see this, these two motifs recurring time and time again. All the beauty of life with all the brokenness. We see the beauty right here, right? Length of days, years of life, peace, favor. That sounds good. Yes, the most satisfying, meaningful, and wise life comes when you write God's word on your heart. Yes, because we live in a fallen world, a broken world, those who love and live for God may die young. That may happen. Yes, because we live in a fallen world, those who love and live for God will be or can be rejected by people. Solomon's great, 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 great grandson, our Lord himself, is proof of this, right? He died in his 30s. He did not marry. He was rejected by the people of his day who considered themselves to be wise, and they rejected him. So what is Solomon calling you to today? He's calling you to hold godly teaching closer to your heart than anyone and anything else because your actions are going to follow whatever it is that you hold close to your heart. And that makes sense for us why Jesus would one day say in his wisdom on the Sermon on the Mount to store up treasures in heaven because where your treasure is, you know the rest of the line, right? There your heart will be also, right? We see Jesus and Solomon are united on this. Actions follow affections. And now we're going to shift to the second idea that Solomon presents to us. We're going to see the call 
for you and I to lean on God above all things. Let's get to our application point now. An application you're going to see that you are to acknowledge, this is hard, the authority of God by trusting him with all that you are. In this point, Solomon addresses the question of who is the most worthy person in your life for you to lean on above all? That's the question that we're seeking to answer. Every person must make a decision about who or about what they are going to lean on the most in this life. And I pray, as I pray for you daily leading up to Sunday gatherings, that God changes your heart and gives you a heart posture to see that Jesus alone is worthy of that position in your life, that he is the only one worthy to be ultimate. Whoever you lean on and whoever you trust in with all that you are, at the end of the day, is your functional God. And I would even argue, even for the agnostic and even for the atheist, whoever or whatever you lean on the most in this life is your functional God. So in our last two verses, we get to read perhaps the most beloved proverb. Let's take a look at it again. Because we're going to see Solomon say that God and his authority is really the only thing you need to fully trust in and lean on in this life. Let's get to it. Solomon says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. Results, he will make your path straight. Solomon tells us to trust in the Lord with all of the hearts. So we ask, what is your basis? What is my basis? Your reason, my reason to trust in God with all of our hearts. What is the basis for you to trust God above your relationships, above your parents, above your spouse, above your friends, above it all, above American culture? Remember what you learned last week. Take a look at what you notice about the word Lord. We talked about this last week, right? What do you notice about it? It's in all caps, right? Right? And we know that Bible publishers and translators do this to let you know as the English reader when the Hebrews were using the actual name of God. When it's all caps Lord, it's no way Yahweh. Okay. <laughs> you laughed. It makes me so happy. So often my jokes fall short. Trust in God with all your heart because he is Yahweh. Or, oh, okay, my mother-in-law's not in here. She, she like, legit goes like, since we know the Hebrew phrase, Yahweh. Trust in God because he's timeless, he is eternal, he is never changing, and he's never failing, just like we sang about in our opening set of worship. Remember, we said this last week, Right now, where we are at 1028, ooh, service is going by quick. And we started late. Hey, members meeting today, members meeting. You have to remember, like I said last week, that it is 1129 now. And you are now no longer the same person as you were when you walked in these doors this morning. With a very simple fact that age and time has already caused you to decay more. Just on that fact alone. You are no longer the same person that you were. Whether you feel it or not, you are different moment by moment. But God never changes. He always was and is and will be. So because God is Yahweh, he alone can be trusted in. 
God alone can be trusted in because he's immutable and he is unchanging. Because only God is Lord, eternal, timeless, never changing, Solomon says, do not lean on your own understanding. You are bound in time. God is timeless. That reason and that reason alone is enough for you to trust in God's wisdom above your own when they clash. When Solomon uses the word lean, he wants you to consider who or what it is that you lean on for support. So the question we ask is, who in your life is worthy enough to hold the weight of all that you are, to feel the heaviness of all that you are, and they not fail? And the gospel continually tells us that who deserves this role in your life is not your spouse, it's not your kids, it's not your parents, it's not that romantic relationship, it's not money, it's not hobbies. All of those things will break given enough pressure that you put on them. There's one and one person alone who can be sustained through all of that, and that's the Lord Jesus because he's Yahweh. Remember, he says, I am that I am. And the religious authorities pick up the stones to murder him. It is natural for you and I, right, to turn to our own understanding, our own wisdom, our own opinions, and lean on them more than God. It's easy and natural. But we acknowledge that this is what fools do, right? And we'll see Solomon speak to this time and time again, to look out to godly counsel, to look out to God's word, and all those factors in will help direct the path that you should take. Now, God addresses this with Job. Eventually, towards the end of the year in our reading plan, we'll read through the book of Job together. And right at the end of Job's suffering, after friends have assaulted him verbally, chapter after chapter, you're suffering because you're a sinner. You're suffering because you've done something wrong. Finally, at the end, Job begins to complain to God. And God shows up and he asks Job, where were you when I laid the foundations? When I created Behemoth and Leviathan, where were you? When I created Orion in the sky, where were you? At our core, you and I have this desire that we know better than God, this nature that we know better than God. This nature that lends itself and bends itself towards self-autonomy and independence, right? We do not want anyone at the end of the day to tell us what to do. Therefore, we are going to reject godly teaching. But the question we have to ask is this. Am I, are you, stronger or wiser or more resourceful than God? I mean, he hung Orion. I don't know what my greatest accomplishment in this life is, but it doesn't compare to that. He created behemoth and leviathan. I don't even know what I've created in this life. I can't even draw, right? <laughs> yeah, y'all know this. Y'all know this. The question is, so why do you lean on your understanding more than you lean on God's understanding? And the answer is, is that's just proof of what the Bible says. It's proof that we have a sin nature. It is proof that Adam and Eve are real historical people. And what they did with their life rolled over onto all of us. That all of us have one thing in common, that you and I have a nature that resists the presence and the promises of God. But here's the thing. Those who are wise know they cannot lean on themselves and their understanding alone. 
how ridiculous would it look, which has happened on this stage, if I were to trip and fall and think that I could actually, while I'm falling, have the ability to hold myself up? It's not possible. I'm in the act of falling. I can't be, I'm the mechanism by which I'm falling. I can't be the mechanism by which I hold myself up. I need someone else to hold me up. You need someone to lean on. So the biggest question you need to ask yourself today before we take off is this. Is there anyone or is there anything that I lean on more than God? Is there anyone or anything I put the full weight of who I am on more than God? And once again, whatever your answer is to that question is your functional God. Whether you're an atheist, an agnostic, or if you consider yourself to be a Christian. If the answer is not the Lord Jesus himself, you are building on sand. Solomon calls you right here to reject the temptation that all of us have, that I have, that you have, towards independence and self-autonomy. Now, this is one of the many reasons, and we talk church family a lot here, right? This is one of many reasons why God makes you a Christian. When he makes you a Christian, he makes you a part of a community. And this community is called the body of Christ. You're just a part of the body, not the body itself. An eye cannot function on its own. A hand cannot function on its own unless it's what thing from Adam's family? It can't function on its own. That's unsound theology in pop culture. It can only operate as part of the body. And therefore, as a Christian, you cannot operate on your own. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. You need to lean on someone. And the wisdom of the Bible says that person you should lean on above all things is God and God alone. You need God, Father, Son, Spirit. And you need the church because it is the body of Christ. The Lord Jesus has not been here bodily, physically, for almost 2,000 years. But he left his body, the church, here until he returns. Wisdom, therefore, is refusing to lean on yourself above all and instead trusting in God above all. Now, to be able to do this, Solomon says you have to be able to acknowledge God in all that you do. And we have to talk about what does that mean to acknowledge God, to see God in everything that you do. Wisdom is acknowledging God in all of your ways, in all of your paths, and in all of your endeavors. So you got a path that you're getting ready to start soon? You have an endeavor that you want to jump into? Solomon says, acknowledge him first in your consideration. That doesn't mean don't think about how it's going to personally impact you or your family or your loved ones if you do this decision. It just means the first question you ask and you pray for the answer to is, God, what is your way in this situation? This is so much more, therefore, than just praying to God when you wake up on your drive to work or praying to God thanking him for a meal. Though it does include that, it is more than that. Real wisdom is God permeating all that you do, invading all that you are, that there's no section of your life that's like has caution tape around it. He can have it all. Real wisdom is leaning on God's understanding for all of your affairs. So it means acknowledging God in your romantic relationships. It means acknowledging God in your friendships, your marriage, your family, your job, your hobbies, your entertainment choices, your wealth, and so much more. 
and all throughout the summer, Solomon's just going to hit all of those things. And the other wisdom writers are going to hit all of those topics. So we ask, what is getting in the way for you today of acknowledging God in all of your affairs? What's getting in the way? What's the obstacle? And we pray that God's spirit removes it. I think that verse 5 begins to answer that question. Refusing to acknowledge God's understanding in all areas of your life means that you don't trust him with all of your heart. You see the connection between verse 5 and verse 6? Only those who truly trust in him will acknowledge him in their ways. This is the start of the Christian life. Oftentimes, many times when I'm talking with Tisa, she'll share this tidbit of information. It could be totally random and meaningless information. You want to know what my first instinct is? I pick up my phone and Google it. It could be the sunset today is going to be at 812. She'll tell me that. And I'll grab my phone. What time is sunset today? Why do I do this? Why do you do this? Some of you are smiling, so you're like this too. So I'm not alone. I'm glad. I'm glad. I double-check what she has told me, and she immediately gets upset with me. And here's her argument. If you trust me, you do not need to go and verify what I'm saying to you. I'm guessing you have husbands that do that too? We haven't even gotten to the marriage proverbs yet. Come on. Here's the thing. It just confirms the Bible. It confirms the Bible that deep down in my fallenness, in my brokenness, I check the sources because perhaps I still need to grow in my trust of her. Right? That's just raw. They're right there for you. But how much more do you and I need to grow in our trust of God, trust in his teaching, and trust in his understanding above ours, right? If I still need to grow after these years together with her, how much more do I still need to grow with the Lord Jesus? And I've been a Christian since I was 15 years old, right? Wisdom is knowing that this life, this Godward life, is a lifelong endeavor. You are never going to get it. You're never fully going to get it. It doesn't matter if you are 30 or 80. You still need to grow in your capacity to trust in the presence and the promises of God. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor or a worship leader or a deacon or just a normal church member. We all still need to grow in our capacity to trust in the presence and the promises of God. Being a Christian means acknowledging God's understanding. By leaning on his understanding, putting the weight of your life on his understanding and trusting in that one above all, you don't need to check the sources because he is the source. If we do this, God promises that he will make our paths straight. Oh, and that feels so good. I think that's why this verse is so nostalgic for us because we can see the proof in the pudding as Christians looking back on our lives. For all the times, through all the rains and all the floods, how God has cleared and straightened our ways and our paths. There's been so much chaos, and God brings clarity. But once again, you have to remember that while Proverbs includes all the beauty of this life, all the promises of God, it also acknowledges the brokenness of this world. Job was godly. He trusted God. His path was straight until one day he lost family, possessions, and health like that. Proverbs 
acknowledges that life is so broken that many times one plus one equals a negative 100. You know the old uh, Paula Abdul song, you take two steps forward, is it two steps? Two steps back, right? Two steps forward, two steps back, one step forward, two steps back. Now that's some sound theology about life. Sometimes you feel like one plus one should equal two, but it's actually going back. A hundred times fold. And you're like, what is going on, right? Real wisdom is knowing that these promises, like this one, he'll make your path straight. It will not take full shape until God redeems all the brokenness of this world at the eschaton. So as we begin to wrap up, who is the real authority of your life? Who do you really lean on? Is it your understanding or God's understanding? The wisdom of Proverbs says, if God is not the answer to this question, you are building your life on sand. God will use adversity to reveal the flaws of what you are building on. So he asks, hey, pastor, how do you acknowledge God? He asks something like this. All right, God, what do you have to say? What does your word have to say about blank? Romance, dating, marriage, parenting. Who I'm supposed to be at work, in the civic life in America, on social media. Whatever it is, God, what does your word have to say about blank decision that I have to make? But if you do not ask God, you are building on sand. A truly satisfying life is built on the experience of God's presence and his promises. Because given enough pressure, given enough weight, everything else that you lean on, friendships, romantic relationships, your job, money, for your security, for your foundation, all that you build on will crumble and it will fail. Except for the one who took on the cross, he took on death, and it could not hold him down. How you act on godly teaching expresses your real heart for God. How you trust and lean into God expresses how you acknowledge who your real authority in life really is. And may the answers to this question encourage you today that though you aren't perfect, though you've been in a relationship with Jesus for X amount of years, you still got a little ways to go, just like me, just like others, which is why we still gather here today. And I pray that you acknowledge, yes, I'm not perfect, but God, increase my desire, increase my capacity to grow my desire to love you and trust you and lean on you above all things.